Good morning, everybody. It's good to have you in first word. Um, today's going to be a good day. I, uh, I don't know if you're feeling what I'm feeling in my spirit, but today's going to be a very, very good day. I'm saying that in faith because I've been feeling the anointing of the Lord in a powerful way. Um, the Lord wants to do something in this house. This morning, we're going to continue with our God's Amazing People, and we're going to step into uh, the life of Esther, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about some pretty cool things. I'm, I'm, we're just going to go to prayer for just a moment, if you don't mind helping me out. God, I know what I feel in my spirit, and I'm asking that you would help me convey what you've put on my heart, and I pray, Lord, that you would move in this place this morning. I take authority and dominion over any spirit that would try to hinder in the name of Jesus. I'm asking God that you would touch us, that we would receive what you have from your word. Everybody said amen. Romans chapter uh, 15 and verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, uh, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I use this scripture on almost every one of the God's amazing people that, that I do, just as an introductory for the things that we read in this book are not there just by chance, but they have a purpose. They have a, a plan. They're there to help us, to bring us hope, to, 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 to show an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and, verses 11, and verse 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. These are our examples. These are uh, examples of how to live and, and how, to, how we can overcome. Esther's name means to hide, cover. It also has a meaning of a star. She's named after, or her name brings reference to the god Ishtar that we'll get into in just a little bit. But Esther's life early on, she's gone through some pretty traumatic things. She lost both of her parents. I find it unique that Esther is named after the goddess Ishtar, because many, many, many times in Scripture, when you find somebody's name, especially if they're a Hebrew, their name goes back to Jehovah. It references God. And the fact that Esther is named after this goddess, and the fact that, you know, her parents put that on her, makes me somewhat wonder and, and, and consider were her parents involved in the worship of that idol? because they picked a very specific name for their daughter. We don't know, really, a lot of Esther's background. We know that she lost both parents. And so she was an orphan, except for her cousin bringing her in and raising her as his own daughter. And we look into the life of Esther as we begin to read about her. It simply tells us that there was a girl named Esther, she had lost both of her parents. She lived with her cousin Mordecai. And the day comes when the king of Persia 
has been displeased with the behavior of his queen at the time. So he, so he declares that he's going to create or enlarge his harem. He's going to bring in all the beautiful young virgins from across the kingdom. And Esther falls into that. The Bible says she was very fair. So when her story opens up, literally the first chapter is talking about the king of Persia. It's talking about the queen that displeased him. And we really get into Esther steps into the story around chapter 2. She comes on the scene. And our first introduction to her is, this was a woman who had lost both of her parents. She lives with her cousin. She's been raised by him as his daughter. And she's now been taken from everything that is familiar to her, everything she has ever known, and she's brought into the harem of the king. That sounds like a pretty good deal until you realize you don't go back to visit your family at this point. Esther doesn't leave and get to go home and visit Mordecai. Mordecai comes by and he stops by the gate so that he can maybe catch a glimpse of her or that he maybe can find some word as to how she's doing. So it's really a, an honor slash forced lifestyle. So this is the world that Esther lives in. If anybody could be bitter, if anybody could look and say, life really hasn't dealt me the best hands, it's Esther. I lost both of my parents. I'm basically an orphan except for the fact that I have a family member the one family member that I know of that Scripture calls that was close enough to take her in and raise her, and now she's been removed from that and placed into the harem of the king of Persia. Yet I don't read that Esther becomes angry. I don't find that Esther is bitter. I I see just the opposite. I see somebody who is willing to serve that is willing to do whatever it takes to represent a good life. And so Esther is in this environment, and while she's there, the Lord begins to give her favor, and he begins to open doors for Esther. And she begins to catch the eye of the, of the, the men that are over the, the harem, and they begin to, to, to promote her. And God opens doors, and when it's her time to go before the king, the Bible says that the king was well pleased with her. He fell in love with Esther. And he made her the queen of his kingdom. That's pretty significant because the Jews were slaves. They had been brought in because of their, their, their sinful lifestyle and their nature. Babylon had come in and they had carried them away. And so they were, they were slaves when the Persians took over. They became their slaves. So now here is a slave girl that's been orphaned that is now the queen of the entire empire of the Persians. You could stop right there and say, Esther has made it. You went from slave girl to orphaned slave girl to queen of the empire. That's a big step. But where the story should be the happy ending that we close the book on the fairy tale, life is just beginning 
for Esther. Because as Esther's star is rising, if you'll allow me to say, in, in the public's eye, there is another that's coming along beside her, impelling her, uh, paralleling her in that rise, and that is a man by the name of Haman. Haman, this man who has got a lot of political influence and a lot of political pull, and, and, and he's gaining the king's favor. It says that he's an agite. You have to pardon me. I've got a pretty significant head cold. So if I'm snorting, it's, it, there's a reason for that. But Haman is, his star's rising. His name literally means turmoil. And he's of this people called Ag, Agites. And because he's rising in power, the kingdom begins to bow to him as he comes by because he wields a lot of power and influence within the kingdom. But there's a man who will not bow to him. And that man's Mordecai. And it infuriates Haman that Mordecai will not bow to him. It drives him crazy. To the point that he begins to, to conjure up in his mind, I'm going to get back at Mordecai. Now the reason Mordecai wasn't bowing to him was because of his beliefs. I'm not going to worship another. I'm not going to bow to you and pay homage to you because I only bow before one. There's only one God in my life that I'm going to bow my knee to. There's only one, there's only one deity I'm going to give homage to. And so when Mordecai sees this, it drives him insane. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to be content until I have Mordecai hanging and, 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 and on display for his disrespect to me. And not only him, but when he goes to the king, he says, listen, king, there's a people out there that because of their beliefs and because of their customs, they're different than from anybody else in the Persian Empire. They're, 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 they're different than everyone else in the empire. And we need to do something about that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to set a certain date. And when that day comes, I want to wipe that entire, that, that entire populace and rid the kingdom of these people because they're not paying homage. And so the king says, hey, man, that's, that's your call, whatever you want to do. And so they set this in motion. Now, there's some interesting things about Haman. Haman is an agite, but it goes beyond that because you see, Haman belongs to a tribe and a people that have long hated the Jews. They've long warred with them. As a matter of fact, they come from a very similar lineage. The Hebrews come from the lineage of Jacob, but the, the Agites come from the lineage of Esau. And just being bold or, or blunt with you, they were known as a bastard group, this group that Haman belonged to, because they were not legitimate. Now, they come from the, from the lineage of Amalek. Amalek has always been at war with 
Israel. Always. It starts as Israel comes out of Egypt and they make their way toward the land of promise. It will be uh, Amalek that will come in. And the Bible says that they came in from behind. They attacked the weak and the weary. Israel was thirsty and in need of water and they were struggling. And and Amalekites come in and they began to attack when they're weak and when they're vulnerable. And and, and so it it causes a, a, a war. Matter of fact, the very first war that you're going to find Amalek involved in is going to be in Exodus chapter 17. And Moses is going to tell Jonathan, I need you to go and I need you to fight and I need you to war with this people. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go stand on the hilltop up there and I'm going to hold my hands up. And as long as Moses' hands were lifted, Israel would begin to prevail. But as the man of God began to be tired and his arms would begin to fall, then Amalek would begin to come in and they would begin to prevail. And so finally it was Aaron and it was her her that came up and they supported the hands of that man of God so that Israel could reap a victory that day. You see, from the very beginning, this was not a physical war in in, in, in all necessity. It was a spiritual war. It's a spirit. Amalek is a spirit. As a matter of fact, when you begin to study out Amalek and you begin to look at their history and you begin to look at, at how, why they were considered such an enemy, the children of Israel saw them as a spiritual enemy. When Saul gets ready in Second, uh, 1 Samuel to go and fight against the Amalekites, the man of God comes to him. Samuel comes to him in, in chapter fifteen, in verses two and three, or in verse chapter fifteen, verse two, and he begins to lay out some things. He says, "Listen, the Lord hasn't forgotten what Amalek did to His people." Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, he said, "Listen, when you settle the land, when you take possession of it, we're going to come back around to Amalek, and we're going to wipe them off the face of the earth." And so when that day came, Samuel comes to Saul and he says, listen, Saul, he said, the day's come. The Lord said he wouldn't forget what Amalek did. You're to go and you're to wipe them out. You're to kill every man, every woman, every child, and every beast. Any animal that belonged to Amalek, you destroy. Now that's that's a bit much. But here's the reason for that. It was believed that when Amalek come under attack, that they would change form. And they would become a beast of the field. And they would hide until they had come in, the threat was gone, and then they would go back to what the form. They believed this was a spiritual thing. It wasn't a physical thing. This is spiritual. The Scriptures say we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. So Saul was given some very specific instructions. You are to go and you are to wipe out anything that could conceal that spirit. You don't bring it into your home. You don't bring it in around your your kids. You You don't associate with it in any way. Because it will destroy you. But the Bible says Saul didn't Didn't listen. Saul goes in, he begins to wipe out every man, every woman, every child, except for the king and the goodly of the livestock. He brings that home. Samuel will meet Saul offering sacrifices 
to God from a spirit that God despises. And that's why Saul looks at him and he says, the Lord has rent the kingdom from you. He said, because obedience is better than sacrifice. You're entertaining spirits, Saul, that you don't understand. That's why there's some things you need to stay away from. I find it interesting that as long as the man of God had a prominence in Israel, Amalek was put under the foot in their homes, in their families, and they were blessed. But when they began to embrace it, it began to cause some major problems. You see, years later, a man by the name of David would stand on a field in battle. And the Philistines would be on this side, and the Hebrews would be on the other side. And David, because of being hunted by Saul, and a spirit, the Bible says, that would come and torment Saul, had drove a wedge between Saul and David. David will be sent home. The Philistines would make ready a battle to go into battle, and the Bible says that when David comes back, he comes back home to Ziklag, and his wife's gone. His children are gone. Why? Because the Amalekites came in. Wait a minute. I thought we wiped them off the face of the earth. I thought they were no more. I thought they weren't a problem anymore. No, 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 no. This is, this is spiritual. It's not physical. You got to look at this in a little different. I know I'm stretching some of your thinking right here, but, but hear me. There are some wars that are not physical wars. They're spiritual wars. And if you handle them, if you handle a spiritual thing with a physical response, you're going to be defeated every time. I'll say this. Amalek came in when there was no priest of the home to guard the home. Men, it's not my kid's job to lead this church in worship. It's not my wife's job to lead this church in worship. It's my job. Amalek comes in when I'm not present. Amalek came in when David was not present and at home. If David and his men had been home, then there never would have been an issue with Amalek coming in and spoiling. But you see, Amalek's a spoiling spirit. It comes in when, when you're not expecting it. It comes in when you're not aware of it, and it begins to spoil you. And it takes things from you, and it brings things captive and hostage. And all of a sudden, you turn around. And things are going in a totally different direction than what you thought they should be going. That's in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. David goes home and Ziklag's been burned with fire. Everything's been taken captive. His men are distraught. And they're in the, the mindset of stoning David. And David has to go and encourage himself in the Lord. And he says, Lord, can I, shall I pursue? And the Lord says, go and pursue. You're going to recover all. David will go and he'll bring everything back. But the next chapter, Saul goes out into battle on the hills of Gilboa. And he dies. The very start of 2 Samuel, you see where a man comes from the field possessing the crown of a king 
he does not serve. And he walks up and he says, I come from the camp of Saul. And David says, how fares the battle? He says, Jonathan and Saul are dead. How do you know they're dead? Well, it's, it's an interesting thing that you ask that because, see, well, you see, I happened to be there where, when Saul went down, and, and, you know, I determined that he was dying. He was, he was shot through with arrows. He was leaning on his spear, and, and, and he, was, he was about done, and he looked at me, and he said, um, listen, I don't want the Philistines to catch me, so will you slay me? So that they don't get the, the pleasure of saying they killed me. And this man says, so out of my duty, I smote him. And I brought you the crown so that you can wear the crown. And David looks at him and he says, where are you from? He said, oh, I'm an Amalekite. I come from a far country. I come from a, from a different land. And by the way, I brought you the crown of the king. What are you wanting? I'm wanting you to be excited that I'm here and that you grant me a place in your home and in your kingdom and let me invest myself in your children and let me invest myself in your world and in your church and in your life and, 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 and let me stay here and dwell here and live with you. David was smart enough to remember what took place just a few days ago. It was the Amalekites that took my family. It was the Amalekites that spoiled my home and took my children captive and my wife captive. And, and, and so David says, no, I'll tell you what we're going to do. That joker over there is fixing to lay a sword to your neck, and I'm going to wipe you out. Well, why would you do that? He just brought you good time. He just brought you the crown of Israel. And it was clutched in the bloody hands of this thing. That's the lineage of Haman. That's where he comes from. See, Haman comes in when you're weak, and he wants to form an alliance when you're unaware. And, and he says, you know, you need, you need to take notice of me and pay me homage. And What's all that about? It's about worshiping something that doesn't give honor and glory to God. I'm not here to beat you up this morning. But we live in a world where anything goes. The principal god of Amalek was Baal. One of the deities that came out of that people was a deity named Ishtar. Somebody that Esther was named after. And now there's no parents. There's, but life's going good. Let me come in and, you know, Amon's rising, Esther's rising. We can form a partnership here. But there's a problem. Mordecai, Mordecai has got a little bit of uh, spiritual discernment and sight about him. He sees the decrease, and he goes to Esther, and he says, Listen, Esther, you got to talk to the king. You got to talk to the king. Because if you don't, we're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Your people are going to be gone. And she says, well, I don't know if I can do this. You know, you're supposed to wait 30 days by law before you go see the king. And, and I just saw the king. And, you know, I, what's, she, what's she doing? She's going back and forth here. I don't know if I really want to, 
want to take this stand. I don't know if I want to make this my fight. And then we get the scripture that everybody, that everybody rallies around where Mordecai looks at her and he says, look, the Lord has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. The Lord's called you here for now. And he says, if you don't stand and defend what God has called you to defend in this hour, don't think God's going to spare you from the wrath, his wrath in all this. He said, you've, got a, you've been brought to the kingdom for a time and a purpose and an hour, and you have to fulfill that, Esther. He said, you've got to make a choice. Now, Esther, you come to my house. We've worshipped the one true God. But you still have some things from your past that want to land a hold of you. And it's come full circle. You're going to have to make a, make a statement right now. You're either going to put your neck on the thing that has destroyed our people in the past or it's going to destroy you. What does Scripture say? Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? God does not transform or conform to me. I'm transformed by him. I want you to think about this. We are creative. But when I begin to create something, I begin to conform something. I'm building something in my life. So when I take something that is God, godly, and I begin to conform it to fit in my life, I'm going to make room, but... I'm going to do that. No, 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 no. When you do that, you begin to take something that God created and you begin to change it and alter it to fit you. And that's not how this works. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going I'm, 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 I'm to reach out here. There's one church. God didn't create, and I'm not bashing anybody. This, is, I will, this church is a place that's open and comfortable for everybody to sit in but under, and be here. This is the church of Arkadelphia. But understand something. The church isn't built around my comfort. The church is built by him. The church was designed by him. So when I start taking church and I say, you know what? I'm going to make this. I'm going I'm to form this for me. I can't do that. I'm giving, I'm building something in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, sex was given to the marriage as God's gift to marriage. But the world takes sex and it changes it and says you can conform it to enjoy it any way you want to. And it's given rise to an idol and it's given rise to a spirit that is spoiling and wrecking homes and wrecking lives because it's been turned into an idol. I believe God wants to bless your finances. I believe God wants to bless your home. But his plan was off the top. That tenth belongs to the Lord. I give my tithes and my offerings and I bring them to the storehouse. Well, that don't work for me. Well, I got news for you. Three things that corrupt humans more than anything is sex, money, and power. Well, I, you know, I'm going to take 
It's my money. I'm going to do with it. What? No, 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 no. I'm a steward of what God gives me. I'm not here to beat you up. I, want, I'm, I believe with all my... I'm going to tell you what I felt in prayer today, and I felt it strong. The Lord's wanting to come in today, and he's wanting to remove some idols that we have built in our own personal lives. Because we're taking this stuff and we're trying to conform it and shape it and make it fit for us. And God said, you're getting it backwards. You're, 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 put me where I need to be. And when you do, I'm going to blow your mind. You're going to get it back, shaken down, pressed together, and running over. But if you don't, you're falling for a lie that's being put out there by an illegitimate spirit that does not belong to me that's saying this is how you need to do for your life and you're going to be blessed and it's not true. When I can't, when, when it grieves me to give back to God my finances. Boy, it gets tight when you mention money. But when, you, when, when that becomes an issue for me, I'm building an idol in my life. When I can't be transformed by God, He has to conform. I've got idol issues in my life. How am I doing on time? What Mordecai I was asking was listen, Esther. God wants to do some things with you. But you got to be all in. You got to be transformed over your past and over the things that are coming at you. And you, you, you got to let some things down. You can't conform this for you. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes repentance. Baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's not me, that's Bible. There's nothing comfortable about repentance. It's not, there, there's nothing comfortable about it. That's why it's such a big step when I open up and I say, God, I'm sorry. It's not my will, it's your will. It requires me acknowledging I've been building some stuff I shouldn't. I got some things there. I want you to transform me. God, you don't have to conform anything. Transform me. Change me. When that happens, now before I, before I get there, I'm going to take you to Matthew. Matthew 16, 24, it says, if any man is going to follow after me, let him deny himself. Do you know one of the chief? I know I'm throwing a lot at you. You got the Amalekites. You got their God, which is Baal. Ishtar, which is a deity that they worshipped along with that. That's why that was introduced by Jezebel. She brought in that worship, introduced that worship. But one of the things that Baal is known for and worshipped for was fertility, increase, 
And he was a warrior. Money, sex, power. He's also called the God of self. And Jesus said, if anybody, if any man is going to follow after me, he's going to deny himself. And he's going to take up his cross. And he's going to follow me. I don't make the rules. I follow him. And the first part of following him is that I make sure there aren't idols in me. Esther will go before the king. She'll plead her petition. Haman will be hanged. But there's still the matter you see in that day. Once the law was put in place and decreed and sealed with the king's seal, you couldn't reverse it. There was a set day that all the children of Israel that were in the province of Persia were going to die. It was already set in motion. And so in Israel, I believe it's the month of April, they're going to be celebrating the Feast of Purim. Purim means a lot. In order to combat that, they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to arm all the Jews within the kingdom and the realm. And they can go in and they can wipe out their enemies. They can slaughter them. I believe it was the 13th and the 14th of the month of April as it fell on the Jewish calendar. And that's exactly what they did. But notice this. The Bible says they did not take any of the spoils. What got Saul in trouble was he took of the spoils. He was going to try to cohabitate and coexist with some things. I can't cohabitate and coexist and live for God and be involved in my church and exceed in the spiritual walk with God if I'm cohabitating with things that are of a different spirit. You put, you fill in the blank, you go through the list in your life of what you need to work on. I don't know. But I know what I felt in prayer was that God is going to bless this church and that's a broad statement, but I'm, hear me. If we get him back in his proper place, God wants to open some doors in your life. He wants to do some things, but I got to get him right. I got to get, get, get me out of the way, and we have to address the spirit of Amalek. And when that falls... then I'm going to look back on it and we'll celebrate and we're going to grow and we're going to be blessed and we're going to prosper. God wants the, our marriages to be strong. He wants to bless you in your finances. But God can't bless in my finances if I got an idol of greed raised up there. 
I can't have a strong marriage and be dabbling in pornography. I'm trying to cohabitate with something that I never was supposed to. The Lord told Israel, he said, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you lands that you never possessed. I'm going to give you herds and flocks and, and all of these things. The only thing I ask is that you keep me first. I'm not a name it, claim it kind of guy, but I, I'm going to tell you what I felt this morning in prayer is God wants to open some doors for some families financially in this church, but I've got to get my mind right. I believe God wants to heal some marriages this morning. But I'm going to have to be honest with God. I'm going to have to lay some stuff down. I believe, maybe you may think I'm wrong, but I believe there's some doors that are going to open up for some people in leadership in this community, in this city. But God can't open that door as long as you can't handle power. Because if having power costs you your ethics and your integrity, you're trying to cohabitate with something. Lord, I love you. God, I've tried my best to teach what you laid on my heart. And I'm asking that you would touch us this morning, that you would move on us, that your word would strengthen us, and that it would help us. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Again, I'm not coming here, and I, I purposely shut off a couple minutes early. I didn't come here this morning to wield a sword, but I have come this morning to, to make you think. Because I believe, I told you what, I, I felt this morning that God wants to move this is going to be a day that changes some lives in this church. But I got to be willing to examine me and put him where I put him in the place he needs to be in my life. God bless you. I love you. Um, we're going to take a 10 minute break and then we're going to start our main service. Thank you for being a first word today.